Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Can someone please just give me a quick mic check? Jazakumullah khair. Someone give me a mic check, please. Can you hear me okay? Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in amma ba'd. Uh, welcome to, I think we're on uh, this the, our 11th lesson of QP year 3. And inshallah ta'ala today we will continue with the tafsir of Surah Al-Qadr. So last week we uh, you know, spent most of the lesson um, discussing uh, somewhat of an offshoot uh, concerning the tafsir of this surah and that was the the uh, the issue of Laylatul uh, Qadr and precisely when it occurs uh, throughout the year. So we said that there's a great difference of opinion. Some of the scholars said, uh, you know, like up, upwards of 40 to towards 50 different opinions, as mentioned by Suti Rahmanullah Ta'ala ibn Hajar, Rahimahullah, amongst others. And we mentioned that there were differences of opinion concerning uh, this. Some of the scholars, even to the extent that some of the scholars said that it's a night that was only present in the time of the Prophet وسلم, and then it was raised. And someone asked the question last week, uh, what was that based upon? And Ibn Hajar Ta'ala <coughs> mentions this in Fathul Bari. And what seems to be the case is that the scholars who, who took that position, and they are not the majority, but those scholars who took that position did so based on the hadith that we mentioned. And this is the hadith when the Prophet وسلم, said that he knew the night of Laylatul Qadr and then because of those two men and their argument in the masjid, it was removed from him. And the word that is used in the hadith is Rufi'at Anni. It was lifted from me, meaning that I forgot the night, the exact night, so secret in the last ten as the hadith goes. That wording that it was lifted from me, some of the scholars interpreted that, that to mean not a lifting of knowledge but a physical lifting of the night of Laylatul Qadr. And that's the basis of where that, uh, that that view comes from. So someone asked that question last week. So I looked into it a bit further because it was a good question. And that's one of the benefits of like, you know, being asking these questions and because it prompts you to research, right? It prompts you to go back and to look further and to see, okay, that's a good question. Where did that actually come from and what basis do they have? And again, we see, as we've said previously, that those scholars that have even these views, which we would now consider to be fringe views, right? We would consider them to be not the mainstream view concerning the night of Laylatul Qadr, but they have still a textual evidence and an understanding from the Arabic language. That is not the position that the majority of the scholars took. The majority of the scholars understood that the lifting to be a lifting of knowledge, meaning that the Prophet ﷺ knew the night and then he was made to forget the night because of that argument that, that ensued between two of his companions. So that therefore it's a lifting of, of knowledge according to the majority of the scholars. So that's you know, we have those opinions and you have the other opinions concerning uh, the rest of, of, of the year that it can occur at any, any night of the year. And if we look closely at those narrations as well, what we see is, uh, what we see, what we see, uh, what we see from those, from that particular text is, uh, from those texts of those scholars who said, or those companions that said that it could be throughout any time of the year. That actually, as Ibn Umar radiallahu anhu said in, in his commentary on that on that narration of Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu an, that it seems to be the case that Ibn Mas'ud didn't want people just to rely upon one night of the year. And so he was encouraging them to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala throughout the year rather than just you know put all of the eggs in that one basket of the 27th night or whatever night that people choose. And that's something which we can see clearly in our time as well. And then we said that the, the vast majority of the scholars, the majority of the scholars, anyway, if not the vast majority, but the majority of the scholars are of the view that it's in the month of Ramadan, the vast majority in the month of Ramadan, the majority of those that are the vast majority then saying it is in the last 10 nights, and in particular the odd nights, and then they differed concerning themselves, is it the 21st, the 23rd, the 27th, and so on and so forth. And we said that the strongest of those opinions, as mentioned by Ibn Taymiyyah, Ibn Hajar, Rahimahumullah, is the position that our Shaykh Ibn Baz, Ibn Uthaymeen, rahmatullah, and others chose was that it is not a fixed night in the year, uh, a fixed night in those last 10 nights of Ramadan every year, but rather it may change. And so the narration that we have of the 21st is a narration that you see the Prophet ﷺ saying that it's the 21st. On that year, it was the 21st. 
and the next year there's a narration that seems to intimate that it was on the 23rd or the following year the 27th and so on each time because Laylatul Qadr shifts each and every single time and that is why the general practice and the general ahadith that are, that are mentioned speak about seeking out Laylatul Qadr and finding it and searching for it and that searching therefore would be throughout those last 10 nights of the month of Ramadan and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best so uh, before we continue was there any research questions that we asked last week uh, can someone remind me was there anything that we asked I have a uh, a feeling that we asked a question concerning and someone can correct me if I'm mistaken but concerning uh, the word وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ because we did um, verse number 2 وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا لَيْلَةُ الْقَدْرِ and someone I believe asked a question concerning the difference between وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ and وَمَا يُدْرِكَ in particular in terms of its translation and how we would work that into the English language. So um, I don't know if someone uh, on the group mentioned anything, if someone wants to share anything, someone looked into that. I didn't really look into it. I, I was hoping that someone else um, someone else was going to look into it. So uh, Solange or someone asked it, Musarrat, anyone get a, uh, have the time to go and look into that? So in terms of وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ and وَمَا يُدْرِيكَ What's the difference? Firstly in Arabic, because understanding the difference in the Arabic would then help you to to translate that into an uh, English equivalent. Okay, and while you're doing that, I have a few announcements anyway, uh, whilst uh, I don't know if someone looked into that or someone's typing up or something, but uh, I have a few announcements. Um, there's a couple of, alhamdulillah, improvements that have been made on the portal. Um, and inshallah, everyone's on the portal and you're familiar with the portal now. The first is that if you go into course material in the resources section, so if you go to your resource study material, uh, there's a course material tab within there and there you have the research questions so they've uh, put an actual section in there for the research questions so all of the questions that we have that we we do now the the sisters the transcribing team may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward them again have uh, put that into a document so it's something that we can keep uh, sorry something that we can keep track of and something that inshallah ta'ala we can we can um, we can just keep focused on for throughout the year as we as we move on the second thing is that if you go into also into the resources, but into the transcribed notes, uh, right at the bottom, the QP specials have been transcribed as one. Well so every so often, as you know, we do a QP special, and a special is either where we're going to go off on a tangent and look at one of the sciences of the Quran, or we're going to look at, for example, the methodology of one of the scholars of tafsir, and so that's something which we do as well. Number three, the third announcement was that the the podcasts are back uh, back up and running. I think there was some technical issue with them over the last couple of weeks, but they are back uh, now as well for those of you that are interested in the podcasts. And finally, if you go to your portal, you'll see now on the right, top right, where you have dashboard and profile settings, you get a, a contact portal support as well. So that's a tab so that if you're struggling with the portal, there's some issues, uh, you can click on that inshallah ta'ala and, and someone will help you with your particular query. So those were the, were the announcements that I had. I don't think anyone looked into the Adaraka Yudhika, but if someone did, or if there is something, then inshallah ta'ala we can we can look at it as it comes. And if not, then inshallah it's something which uh, we'll will carry on looking for to next week. So this wasn't something which I was necessarily going to do. I wanted you to do instead and come back to me as well. Okay. So we're on uh, verse number three. Right, verse number three of Suratul Qadr. And in verse number three, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now answers the question, right? And remember we said, as mentioned by Sufyan ibn Uyayna, rahimahullah ta'ala, Imam al-Bukhari mentions this in his Sahih, and then as a statement of ibn Uyayna, and then it's mentioned by numerous scholars of tafsir, that the difference between the statement of وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ and وَمَا يُدْرِيكَ is Allah Azza wa always answers in the Qur'an the, the question وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ but he doesn't answer the question وَمَا يُدْرِيكَ We gave the example of for example, this surah in Surah Al-Qari'ah, where we have وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا لَيْلَةُ الْقَدْرُ وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا الْقَارِعَةُ And Allah Azza wa Jalla in the following verse will answer, right? وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ And what will let you know? What is the night of Qadr? What will let you know? What is, uh, what is the, uh, what is Al-Haqa? And so Allah Subhanahu wa Taala answers that question. وَمَا يُدْرِيكَ We said is where Allah Subhanahu wa Taala doesn't answer the question. They ask you concerning the hour. Say to them that verily its knowledge is only with Allah. And what will allow you to know? What will let you know? 
perhaps that time of the hour is close. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't pinpoint the timing of the hour, doesn't go into it in detail. So um, the difference, therefore, in the English translation of Madraka and Madrika is outstanding. And that's something which we'll leave then till next week uh, for you to research further. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse number two, he asked the question concerning Laylatul Qadr. In verse number three, Allah Azza wa answers uh, answers the, oh sorry, Solange has just sent a message in looking at over 30 accepted translations of the meaning of verse number two, most common future, what will make you know or how will you know, less frequent present, what do you know, what makes you know, how do you know, very rarely past tense, what made you know, and sometimes with the word could or can. I think Solange, a, a better way of doing this would be because I know the translations, we have the translations to hand already. I think a better way of doing this would be to go to the Arabic and see what the Arab, uh, the, 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 especially in the linguistic tafsir, what they say concerning the difference between Adraka and Yudrika, the words Adraka and Yudrika in terms of their uh, grammatical structure. And then by understanding that, we can then, inshallah ta'ala, look at whether it's better suited in English to be future or past or present. So if you can make the difference between the two, and then also look at the verse, for example, in Surah Al-Hazab in the last page, or the last, uh, in the last portion or the last passage of Surah Al-Hazab, where Allah Azawajal says, And then inshallah we can, we can look into that in a bit more detail and make that comparison. Jazakallah khair. Okay, so verse number three we were saying, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, Laylatul Qadri khayrun min alfi shahar. The night of glory is better than a thousand months. So one of the things that we understand and that we know generally because we mentioned a, new, a number of those hadith last week is that the Sharia places a great emphasis on this night in terms of its virtue and in terms of the reward that is on offer. And from those hadith is the famous hadith of Abu Hurairah radiallahu anna al-Bukhari al-Muslim that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said man qama laylat al-qadri imanan wa ihtisaba ghufira lahu ma taqaddama min dhambih Whosoever stands the night of laylatul qadr with Iman, with faith and Ihtisab, which means hoping for Allah's reward, then they will have all of their previous sins forgiven. right? And so you have those ahadith. And the companions understood the importance of this night. They understood its virtue. They understood its significance. And that's why many of them chose to make i'tikaf alongside the Prophet in order to seek out that night of Laylatul Qadr. Right? And we know that the Prophet would make Laylatul Qadr. It is said he made Laylatul Qadr every year until he passed away sallallahu alayhi wa sallam after he was told to look for Laylatul Qadr. It's something which he continued to do year on year until he passed away. And that's why it is said that Ibn Sirin, rahimahullah ta'ala, the famous scholar of the tabi'een from the students, of the companions used to say that I am amazed that people have left i'tikaf even though the Prophet never did so until he passed away. And no doubt i'tikaf isn't obligatory. It's a sunnah act. It is highly recommended but it's not an obligation. But his meaning is, and we're talking about you know someone who's still living towards the first century of Islam, that the people find it something which they're not going to do regularly. It's not as many people that take it up. And it's the same in our time as well. The people that make i'tikaf are not the majority. Right? It's very few. And that's because it takes a great amount of effort and time and concentration. And it is a great sacrifice to seclude yourself in a masjid and to confine yourself within its four walls, not leaving except for necessity, if, there, if, if such a necessity arises. And you just spend your day and your night worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not an easy thing to do. And so the Prophet wasallam, he would do it in order to seek out the night of Laylatul Qadr. And one of the things that shows the importance of this night is the hadith of Aisha uh, that's collecting the Tirmidhi when she said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, if I was to find Laylatul Qadr, what dua should I make for specifically for that night? And he wasallam, told her the famous dua that I think most of us are probably familiar with and have memorized. Allahumma innaka afoon. Oh Allah, you are the one who is all pardoning and you love to pardon, so pardon me. Right? That's the dua that he gave to her. That's the dua that you can make at any time, but specifically in the month of Ramadan, specifically in those last 10 nights of Ramadan as you seek out Laylatul Qadr. So that's something which is therefore well known and well established amongst the scholars of tafsir. The reason why Laylatul Qadr, therefore, especially in terms of its virtue and reward, is number one, what Allah Azza wa Jal already mentioned, 
which is Laylatul Qadr being the night upon which the Quran is first revealed. Uh, and, and if someone wants to look into this, there is a, an interesting, um, you know, if you look in the books of Ibn Al-Qayyim, especially in Ibn Taymiyyah, rahmatullah, you will find an interesting discussion uh, that they ask concerning the question uh, of whether Laylatul Qadr is better or the Layla or the night, the night of Laylatul Qadr is better or the night of the Isra and Mi'raj, the night on which the Prophet went up to heaven. Which one is better? Right, that's a discussion that they have. If someone wants to look into that, they can do so and then feed back to us anyway. But Ibn Qayyim, Ibn Taymiyyah, you will find it in their books. That's a question that some of the scholars addressed as well. So is it better? Just as like they addressed the other question, which is similar, uh, you know, when, as it concerns Ramadan. Um, and we'll probably come on to this at some other point anyway. But anyway, let's leave the other one. So um, the reason why it's better, number one, is because of the revelation of the Quran. Number two, as we said, because of the decree that is revealed for the following year, right? as is mentioned by a number of the scholars of, of tafsir. And number three, because of the reward that is mentioned in this verse, Laylatul Qadri Khayrun Min Alfi Shahr. The night of glory is better than a thousand months. What is the meaning of this? The meaning of a thousand months. It is better than a thousand months. As we know, the thousand months you know, equates approximately to 83 odd years, right? Or more than 83 years. So Allah is saying that that one night is greater than, better than, more virtuous than, more rewarding than 83 years, right? Which is a lifetime for most, most of us, if not more than a lifetime for many people. So what is the meaning of this? The scholars differed concerning this. The first uh, opinion that you will find is that the, uh, that the word Alf uh, Shahr, a thousand months, refers to time in general. It is time in general, meaning that the night of Laylatul Qadr is better than all other times. It is better than time. Right? It is better than everything else. And it is based upon them saying, some of the scholars of Tafsir said, because the Arabs used to consider the term a thousand months to be like infinity. You know, like we say it's better than, you know, like, you know, we keep on doing this for infinity. Right? Infinity means a never-ending period of time. For them, the, 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 the furthest period of time that they understood in the time of the Arabs was a thousand months. Right? A thousand months. And they based this upon another verse of the Quran in Surah Al-Baqarah. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, One of them wishes that they could only live for a thousand years. So the term thousand, the number thousand, was the biggest number that was familiar to the Arabs. There are obviously bigger numbers, hundred thousand, millions, billions. Those are numbers that are the Arabs of that time. The biggest number that they would use was a thousand, right? It was the word thousand. And that's why in the Quran you don't find, and in the Sunnah you don't find millions and billions and you don't find those um, those those numbers you find hundreds and you find thousands thousands being bigger than hundreds so therefore it was the biggest number that they understood the biggest concept that they understood in terms of numbers some 1400 odd years ago and so when Allah says a thousand months he doesn't mean this necessarily literally a thousand months but what he means is a great deal of time right a very long long passage of time and similar to it is that verse that one of them, meaning one of the disbelievers, would love to live for a thousand years. Again, not literally being a thousand years, but because it is a great amount of time. And Allah Azza wa Jalla knows best. That's one opinion. But the majority of the scholars said no. It actually means a thousand months. Right? It means a thousand months. And then they differed as to what it means. So some of them said that it refers to the actions, or it refers to the actions that are performed therein. And this is mentioned by Imam Al-Tabari it's not the opinion that he chooses but he mentions it in his tafsir as being the statement of Mujahid the famous student of Ibn Abbas what he's referring to is the action that is performed the action of the night of that night is greater than the action of a thousand months so the prayer the fasting uh, or, the, or the, the actions that you perform of that night the prayer, the dua, the recitation of the Quran, the charity that's given, it's referring to the actual action. Right? And this is a difference of opinion, by the way, which, which asks the question, right? it raises the question, as to on Laylatul Qadr, is it every action that is multiplied to a thousand months? So if someone, for example, spends the night, which is very common, as we know, in our masajid, the 27th night, you know, let's just, for the sake of argument, say it's Laylatul Qadr on the 27th night. What is the majority of the time spent in the masjid doing on, on, on that night? 
it's, it's probably fundraising, right? Probably a charity drive for whatever the cause may be, right? And that's something which, so therefore, does that equal that? Or is it something which is specific to what the Prophet ﷺ did? Is it every action? So therefore, it's the actions of the night, as Mujahid is saying. Or is it, no, the night itself is what is blessed more than a thousand months. So it is equal to a thousand months outside of Laylatul Qadr, meaning every other month that doesn't have Laylatul Qadr, it is better than a thousand months. But it is the time that is blessed itself. It is the time that is blessed. And what, the, what did the Prophet ﷺ do with the time he spent it in Quran and in prayer and in dua? And so therefore, that is what the Sunnah is, that you should stick to those three things. And that is the position of some scholars, that what is virtuous about that night and what the Salaf used to do and what is known from them is that they would spend this night praying, reciting Quran, making dua. And it's not something which is reported on them that they would, even though it is reported on some of them, that they would consider it to be also for feeding others and doing other actions as well. And that's why you have that difference of opinion. But a number of those scholars said no, it should be exactly what the Prophet ﷺ did. So the second view is that it is the night itself that is that is uh, righteous, right? That is virtuous. Not righteous, but it is virtuous. And this is the position of Qatada rahimahullah and Imam al-Shafi'i. And it's also reported as a statement of Mujahid as well. So Mujahid is reported that he said both things. And it is the position that Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala chose as being stronger. He said in his tafsir, and the stronger of those two opinions, uh, and what seems to be more apparent from the verse and the revelation, is that the actions of Laylatul Qadr is better than an action of a thousand months outside of Laylatul Qadr. Meaning that's referring to the timing of it. It is the night of Laylatul Qadr that it is virtuous and the actions therefore that are performed in it. Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala said something similar. He said, and what is correct is that it's referring to the night of Laylatul Qadr that it is better than a thousand months and this was the position of he says Ibn Jarir rahimahullah ta'ala as well. And it's a position of in fact the majority of the scholars. The majority of the scholars said that it refers to the night of Laylatul Qadr, not the actions that are necessarily performed therein, but it is the night that makes it virtuous. So it's because of the virtue of the night that the actions are multiplied to a thousand. And it is not the actions in and of themselves that are uh, that are virtuous, uh, because those actions outside of the month of Ramadan will not be virtuous, or outside of that Laylatul Qadr wouldn't be as virtuous. So this that's the difference between the two, and Ibn, Ibn, Ibn Shaykh Muthaymin, Rahimahullah Ta'ala also chose that position and it is the position to be honest of the majority of the scholars that I found in the books of Tafsir. Um, and Imam Qurtubi Rahimahullah Ta'ala chose and said something similar. He said it is the, the position of this night being virtuous is because of all of the virtues that Allah Azzawajal has placed within that night and it is because of it that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala made it equal to or greater than a thousand months and Allah Azzawajal knows best. That's, so those are three opinions now. The first one is that it's referring to time in general. The second one is that it's referring to the actions specifically. The third one, the second opinion, the third one is that it's referring to the night and therefore it is the night that is virtuous and the actions that are performed therein therefore become virtuous as a result. Another opinion that is reported is that uh, what is reported as a statement of Ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu an, and it's not an authentic narration. But he says that, that the Prophet mentioned a man from Bani Israel who carried his weapons, meaning that he fought in Allah's way and strove for over a thousand months. So the Muslims were amazed that a man would go and just you know, continue fighting and, 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 and in war for 83 odd years, non-stop. For 83 years, he's constantly fighting. And so because they were amazed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then revealed this verse, meaning that it's as a virtue for this ummah that Allah Azza gives to them the reward of what that man did over 80 plus years in a single night. And Imam al-Shawkani as well as others mention some other similar narrations that are also uh, mentioned. For example, another narration that is mentioned as Imam al-Shawkani and others say is that it's said that amongst Bani Israel or amongst the previous nations, a person would not be considered to be an abid. An abid is a worshipper, someone who devotes themselves to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A person will not be considered to be an abid until they had done a thousand months of worship. And only after a thousand months of worship will they be classified, designated as being an abid. Right? And one of the things that we, we also know, even within our own tradition, 
is that the terminologies of how we refer to people have changed, right? They they have changed. So, for example, um, you know the term hafil, right? Hafil now is referring to someone who has memorized the Quran. Whereas, actually, if you look at towards the early part of Islam, uh, the word hafil didn't just refer to someone who memorized the Quran, because it was very common for people to memorize the Quran. Many people had memorized the Quran, and it was something which was you know kind of par for the course. And so, it's not something which which signifies or identifies or in some way makes someone special. But rather the term hafil classically is referring to someone who has a great deal of knowledge of hadith. They've memorized thousands of hadith. Those are the people that would consider to be called hafil. And that's why you have hafil al-Iraqi and hafil ibn Hajar and al-Hafil al-Dhahabi and others. And these are people who are from the, uh, the great, like illustrious scholars of Islam, right? who would not just excel and they memorize the Quran anyway, but they excel in their study of hadith and in their study of, 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 of the memorization of hadith and knowing its different chains of narration and so on. Those people would be called hafil, right? But that's something which has changed over time as well now. So terminologies do change over time. It is said before our sharia, before our Prophet wasallam, amongst Bani Israel and others, you had to do a thousand months of worship before you became an abid. And so the people were amazed by this because how many of this ummah are going to live for 83 years? How many of us will live to see that old age and especially then to spend that time in worship as well? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed Surah Al-Qadr and he said, Laylatul Qadri khayrun min al-fishar, that single light is better than a thousand months. So that's a, another opinion, right? That's the uh, fifth opinion. The sixth opinion is also mentioned by Imam al-Shawkani, rahimahullah and others, that it's referring to the Prophet وسلم, seeing, having seen the average age of his ummah, and as we know in an authentic hadith, the Prophet وسلم, said the average age of my ummah is between 60 and 70, 60 and 70 years. So he saw the shortness of their age, and that's something which the Prophet وسلم, uh, you know, he became sad at, because they wouldn't have, his ummah wouldn't have as much time as previous generations had. Because we know if you look throughout generally the Quran and so on, that people live longer and longer, right? So in the time of Adam alayhi salam, uh, even in the time of Nuh alayhi salam, right? He's calling his people to Islam for 950 years and so on. And so people live for a much greater period of time and they were taller as well. That's what the Sunnah seems to intimate, that they they were taller because we know that our father Adam alayhi salam was extremely tall as mentioned in some hadith. And the people of Jannah when they enter into Jannah will enter upon the stature of their father, Adam alayhi meaning in the height of Adam alayhi salam. So but because over time, not only do they become shorter in stature and in height, but they also become, their lifespan becomes shorter as well. This is also something which the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam made him sad. So Allah azza wa gave or revealed these verses speaking about Laylatul Qadr and how it was worth a thousand months of worship. These narrations though, the one of Ibn Mas'ud, these other stories of you know, the Prophet seeing this and becoming sad, his ummah is short in age, or that man, or, or the people of Bani Israel, the worshipper having to do a thousand months and so on, these are not authentic narrations. They're not authentic narrations. And so therefore, as some of the scholars of Tafsir said, as Ibn Ashur and others said, that it's not something which is authentically mentioned in any narration of hadith. These are authentic narrations that we know of. And so because they are not authentic, uh, they are not they, they are not strong opinions of tafsir for this verse, even though it is mentioned by, as you can see, numerous scholars. Numerous scholars held this opinion that that's what it's referring to. And they mentioned it in the books of tafsir. But it is not the mainstream opinion. The mainstream opinion, as we said, the majority, is that the virtue of this night, that is what makes it better than a thousand months. And therefore, what the, what the worship that we do in it, uh, is something which is also virtuous because of the virtues that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed within this night. In verse number four, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then goes on to say, On that night, the angels and the spirit descend again and again with their Lord's permission on every task. And I was looking at the translation of this verse, verse number four, that was the, the one that I just read. That was the translation of Professor Abdul Halim. Um, Muhammad Muhsin Khan, he says, Therein descend the angels and the Ruh Jibreel by Allah's permission with all decrees. And Mufti Taqi says, The angels and the spirit descend in it with the leave of your Lord along with every command. 
and Sahih International, the angels and the spirit, meaning Gabriel, descend therein by permission of their Lord for every matter. So in terms of verse number four, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, says, The angels descend and the ruh descends. Right? And the word tanazzal, does it refer to a single descent? Or does it refer to as Abdul Halim in his translation seems to uh, intimate that it is a descent upon descent? Right? He says, the angels and the spirit descend again and again. Meaning that it is multiple descents. And the reason why there is a difference of opinion over this, because as we said before, the qaida, the Arabic language has a qaida, a principle, that ziyadatul mabna yadullu wa tadullu ala ziyadatul ma'na. That the more the root word has, the more letters added to the root word, the greater or the more that you add to the meaning as well. So the more that you add to the root word in terms of letters, the more that you should add to the meaning as well. So for example, tanziru, Right, means to descend. Tanazzala, you have two zays because a shadda is two letters that are merged into one. So therefore you have an extra letter. Then you have tatanazzalu, as Allah says concerning the angels that come at the time of death. Tatanazzalu alayhimul malaikatu alla takhafu wala tahzanu. So what is the difference between them? Right? Tanzil is a single descent. Right? Tanazzal is more than one descent. Tatanazzal is even more. One of the ways that the scholars uh, explain this is that they said that the word Tanazzala means that it is a greater descent because it is not just one angel that is descending, but it is many angels. As Allah says, Tanazzalul Malaikatu wa Ruh, the angels, which is a group, a body, a company of, of angels, and the Ruh also descends. And so because of that, it is Tanazzal. There is a number of them that are descending. Tatanazzal is even more in terms of its descent because it's referring to the time of death when the angels come and they take the souls away. And people die all the time. Throughout the day, throughout the night, all through the year, people are dying all over the world. And so the angel of death is constantly descending with his, uh, with, with its fellow angels that, that also help the angel of death in taking the souls. They are constantly descending. So the Tanazzal of Laylatul Qadr is only once a year, even though it is a multiple descent, meaning that there are multiple angels descending, but it is only once in a year. Whereas the Tatanazzal that is mentioned is even more because it is constant, continuous throughout the year at different times in different places. And that's what I've read concerning the differences between those meanings in the Arabic language and Allah Azza wa knows best. One of the discussions here though is the meaning of the word Ar-Ruh, the spirit. And remember when we said um, at the beginning, a couple of weeks ago, maybe now, inna anzalnahu in verse number one, we caused it to descend. Allah Azza wa says, the it here, the majority of the scholars said that it's referring to uh, the Quran, but some of them said that it's referring to Jibril alayhi salam. The it is referring to Jibril. We caused Jibril to descend alayhi salam, and we said that the scholars who were the majority that said that it's referring to the Qur'an, they said it's the Qur'an because in this verse, verse number 4, Allah speaks about the descent of Jibreel separately because he says the word ar-ruh, right? The ruh being Jibreel alayhi salam. But those other scholars said, no, the word ruh here doesn't mean Jibreel. So therefore, the first verse is referring to Jibreel. The word ruh will mean something else. If it is Jibreel, if it is Jibreel, right? What's happening here is when you have in Arabic what they call um, you have something which is specific and something which is general and the, spe- the specific is mentioned after the general even though both of them are referring to the same thing basically meaning that if it's Jibreel salam, Jibreel is one of the angels so when Allah Azza wa Jalla says the angels descend then Jibreel is within the angels but Allah Azza wa Jalla specifies him so he makes atf, he joins what is specific to what is general, even though all of them are, uh, you know, all of them are encompassed in the general meaning. So Allah Azza wa Jal, why then does He specify? And Allah Azza wa Jal does this in certain places in the Quran. He does this a number of times in the Quran. Why does this happen? Is to give extra emphasis, right? Is to show extra virtue, extra importance to what is being specified, even though it is part of the general term. 
So Jibreel is part of the angels, but Allah mentions him specifically, right? According to those scholars that say Ar-Ruh is referring to Jibreel which is, you know, something which happens a number of times in the Quran. Allah refers to Jibreel as Ar-Ruh, the spirit, right? But the word Ruh, as we also know, can refer to the spirit of the body. Right, the spirit, the soul, the spirit that's blown into the body. So it has multiple meanings in the Arabic language. Why does Jibreel get a special mention then, according to that opinion? Because he is the one who brings down the revelation of the Quran. He is entrusted with revelation. Not only the Quran, but every revelation that was given to the prophets of Allah. It is the role of Jibreel that he brings revelation from Allah to his prophets and his messengers. And we know that Jibreel is the archangel. And he is the one that the, the Jews consider to be an enemy. They consider Mikael, Michael, to be the one who is the, the blessed angel, not Jibreel. They consider Jibreel to be the one who brings war and he brings punishment. Right? And that's why when Abdullah ibn Salam came to the Prophet وسلم, and he asked about revelation, and the Prophet said to him, Jibreel brings me this, he said, that is the angel of the Jews. Right? That is the angel that we, the Jews, consider to be our enemy. The point of this being is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specifies him because this surah speaks about the revelation of the Quran and its importance and therefore he is given that special mention, alayhi salam, Jibreel alayhi salam. That is the position of the majority. The majority of the scholars are of the view that the ruh in this particular verse refers to Jibreel alayhi salam. And, and before I forget, someone asked last week the question, someone mentioned in the hadith in Surah Al-Nasai, that they said whoever prays after Salatul Isha four rak'ahs, they will have the reward of Laylatul Qadr, as if they stood the, towards Laylatul Qadr. And I said at the time that I would look into it. And that narration uh, with that wording is weak. So praying four rak'ahs after Isha, there's numerous hadith that speak about it being a sunnah. That the Prophet would sometimes pray four rak'ahs after Isha. But the wording that says that that is equal to standing the night of Laylatul Qadr, as mentioned in some of the wordings of Nasa'i and other than Nasa'i as well, it is weak. That is a weak wording. So that hadith is not authentic. But generally, the Prophet praying after Isha for Raka'ahs is something which is established in the Sunnah. So that, that just came to my mind, uh, and I forgot to mention that at the beginning. So as we said, the word Ar-Ruh, referring to Jibreel is the position of the majority, as Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah ta'ala, said. Right? It is referring to Jibreel. And this is the position that was chosen by Imam Al-Qurtubi, Imam Al-Baghawi, and many others as well. They said that it is the position that Ar-Ruh refers to Jibreel salam. But that is by no means his only position. Another, uh, as and Imam Al-Qurtubi mentions all of this in, in, in his tafsir, he mentions the different um, positions. One of them is, or another of them is, that the Ruh refers to a certain group of angels. That they are the guardians of the angels. The Ruh are the guardians of the angels, just as the angels are the guardians of humans. And just as the humans cannot see the angels, we can't see them, we can't speak to them, we can't interact with them, then likewise the angels do not interact, nor do they see the ruh, this group of angels that are their guardians. That is one opinion that Al-Qutubi rahimahullah mentions. Another opinion is the opinion of Muqatil rahimahullah, and he said that the ruh refers to the most noble of the angels. And they are the ones, the noblest angels, and they are the ones that are closest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the second opinion that he mentions. The third opinion that he mentions is that it refers to uh, an army of angels, an army from the armies of uh, of Allah, sorry, an army from the armies of Allah azza wa jal, other than the angels. So now we're speaking about not the angels, right? Not the angels. So... Um, that's the third opinion, that it's an army from Allah's armies and it's not the angels. The fourth opinion is that it is a, another creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, another creation of Allah azza wa jal that is also not angels, right? that are not angels. So opinions three and four are, are similar. Third one is that it is an army from Allah's armies, not the angels. And the fourth opinion is that it is a creation of Allah azza wa jal that are also not angels. The fifth opinion is that it refers to a massive creation, a great creation, خَلْقٌ عَظِيمٌ that will stand in rows, just as the angels stand in rows. So this also seems to be similar because it's referring to another creation again, but not angels. And the sixth opinion is that it refers to uh, Allah's mercy, 
that what's being referred to is Allah's mercy that descends upon that night that Jibreel and the angels bring with them. Right? And that's what's referring to. The Ruh is not Jibreel, but the mercy and the blessings that descend on this night alongside the angels. And that is the other opinion. And then therefore the seventh opinion, the one that we mentioned at the beginning, is that it is Jibreel himself. And so therefore we have these seven views that you will find in the books of Tafsir. But as I said, the majority and what seems to be the strongest of them, and Allah knows best, is that it refers to Jibreel alayhi salam himself. Right. Uh, Sumaira, those who took the meaning of the pronoun in verse number one to mean Jibreel, how did they interpret the ruh in ayah four? Which meaning did they take? They would have taken one of these. So depending on who it was, because these are different opinions from different scholars of tafsir. All of them pointing though to the same facts, right, to the same issue, and that is that Jibreel is not the ruh in this verse. Right? He's not the ruh in this verse. So they would have chosen one of these. Now which one chose one? As I said, I gave you the name of Muqatil for one. But the others, Al-Qurtubi doesn't name them and he says Waqila. And it said, and it was said, and it was said, and so he doesn't mention them by name. Right? And when the scholars do that, it means that they haven't put names to them. But if you maybe went further uh, to some of the other books of tafsir, uh, maybe you would find names. So for example, if you go to Al-Mawardi, he will often mention names. And he may well have done uh, also Suyuti in his in his masterpiece of Tafsir may have done so also in the narrations in those of them that have early narrations of these opinions and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Um, Imam Al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala said right, in conclusion he said that the meaning of this verse is that the angels and Jibreel alayhi salam who is the ruh right, so this is the position of Imam Al-Tabari as well that Jibreel is the Ruh. So the angels descend alongside Jibreel who is the Ruh on Laylatul Qadr. And they bring with them the command of their Lord. They bring with them the command of their Lord. And that command is basically Allah's decree for the next year. Allah's decree for the following year. Right? And um, if we look back at the translations that I had, Sahih International uh, says... They come with the permission of their Lord for every matter. Mufti Taqi with every command. Muhsin Khan with all decrees. And Abdul Halim on every task. Right? And the word Amr is a very general word in the Arabic language. It can mean uh, an order, command. It can mean an issue. It can mean an affair. It can mean a number of things. But what these scholars said, Ibn Tabari, and he, he quotes this as being the position of Qatada, Rahimullah Ta'ala as well, is that referring to the decree of Allah Azza wa That is what they descend with for the next year. But some of the scholars, and this is said it's the position of Ibn Abbas, he said, What they come down with, the angels and Jibreel is that they is that they come with greetings from Allah Azza wa Jal. They come with greetings from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and every believing man and woman that they meet, they give salams to them, or they greet them with these salams, right? And the salams from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is his blessings and his rahmah, his mercy and his favor subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala joined between the two, he combined between the two and he said that this is the night on which many of the angels descend and they descend throughout the night and they descend with Allah's blessings and with his rahmah and his mercy just as they descend when the Quran is being recited and when people seek knowledge and they surround those people with their wings so he said that it is similar to that descent they descend physically themselves and they descend with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy as well and with Allah azza wa decree and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best in verse number five then Allah azza wa concludes this surah by saying salamun hiya hatta matla'il fajr there is peace that night until the break of dawn and that's the translation of Professor Abdul Halim. Mufti Taqi says, Peace it is till the debut of dawn. Uh, Sahih International, Peace it is until the emergence of dawn. Muhsin Khan, Peace. And then in brackets, All that night there is peace and goodness from Allah to his believing slaves. Close bracket, Until the appearance of dawn. Right? So it is similar. The word Sanam, right, this is uh, somewhere where some of the scholars differed as well. What is the, refer, the the meaning of the word salam here? What is it referring to? Some of the scholars said 
it refers to peace from every evil, from every harm. Right? There is peace, meaning from every evil and from every harm, and that's from the beginning of the night until the night finishes. So from every harm and from every evil, there is peace on the night. And this is mentioned as being the position of Qatada and Mujahid and Ibn Abi Layla and Imam Al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala uh, said something similar. Some of the scholars though disputed this and they said that we know for a fact that there are people who even on these nights will still sin and they still commit evil and they still do harm towards others. And so therefore that's not the meaning of this verse, right? And so those scholars said that that's not the meaning, right? That's not the meaning of this verse. Uh, what is the meaning therefore? And Imam al-Sha'bi rahimahullah ta'ala in his tafsir he said, on this, on this, uh, in this verse, min kulli amrin salamun hi hatta matla al fajr. He said that it is the, uh, the, the, the angels coming and passing their salutations to the people of the masajid. The angels coming and greeting the people of the masajid. So the word salam literally means the greeting of salam, not salam as in the meaning that it is peaceful and secure, but the actual greeting that the angels come and they greet the people who spend their nights in the masajid praying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala until the dawn breaks, meaning until the morning. Right? And that's the position that Imam al-Sha'bi rahimahullah ta'ala chose himself. Right? And many of the scholars mentioned both of these positions. And it's possible to say, and Allah azza wa knows best, that it is a night of peace because of the, of the amount of reward that Allah causes to descend on this night and his blessings and his mercy and forgiveness subhanahu wa ta'ala and also it is a night of peace in the sense that Allah Azza wa safeguards the believers from doing evil and from harm, right? Because they spend their night in worship and worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah Azza wa safeguards them from doing haram, safeguards them from sin, safeguards them from disobedience. And Allah Azza wa knows best. There are two different qira'at. In this verse, in the last verse, surah, uh, verse number five, the word matla' has two recitations. The first of them is with a fatha on the lamb, matla' al-fajr, and that is the, the, the recitation of the majority of the Qurra. They read with the fatha, salamun hiya hatta matla' al-fajr. And the other one is with a kasra on the lamb, salamun hiya hatta matla' al-fajr, matla' al with the kasra on the lamb. And this is the recitation of al-kisai and of al-khalaf. Khalaf in his own recitation, khalaful ashir. Both of them recite with a Kasra, and it's a good research question, I think, for someone to do to look at the difference between matla' and matli'. What is the difference in meaning between the fatha and the kasra? And if you go back to some of the books of tafsir, but also some of the books of qiraat, you have books in qiraat that they call tawjihul qiraat, where they look at the differences between qiraat and they will give you the reason or the Arabic difference between the two words, how it changes the meaning in terms of those two words, in this case, between the fatha and the kasra. So we said that the majority read with the fatha and the lamb, and the reading of al-kisai and of, um, of khalaf al-ashr in his own qira'ah, because as we said, khalaf is a student of Hamza, right, who's one of the seven qurra'ah, but then in the other, in the ten, khalaf becomes one of the qurra'ah himself, right? So you have khalaf mentioned twice. Khalaf is one of the students of Hamza, so he's one of his students in his qira'ah, but then he has his own qira'ah in his own right as well, and that's often called Khalaful Ashir, because in the ordering of the qira'ah, he's number 10. So they say Khalaf the 10th, to show, differentiate between the student Khalaf, when he's a student of Hamza, and when he's his own Imam. They often say Khalaf Al-Ashir. And so in his own recitation and the recitation of Al-Kisai, and both of them are Kufis, right? Both of them are from Kufa. So both of these recitations are from the area of Kufa. It is with the Kasra. And if you, if someone wants to look into that, inshallah, then that's something which they can do. We conclude the, this surah with a, a nice statement that I found of Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shanqiti rahimahullahu ta'ala in his tafsir. He said that from the benefits of this verse or this surah in general, is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala began the, rest, the revelation of the Qur'an during the night and not during the day. He began the revelation of the Qur'an during the night and not during the day to show us the virtues of worship during the night and to show us the importance of worship during the night. And he said, and this is something which we find on a number of occasions, 
that are mentioned that is mentioned in the Quran and the Sunnah. It's not the only time that the night is mentioned as being a time where something special happens. Similar to it is the first verse of Surah Al-Isra. Subhanalladhi asra bi'abdihi laylan. Allah says, and glory be to the one who took his servant, meaning the Prophet ﷺ, on a journey during the night. Right? And Allah again specifies the night. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says concerning tahajjud also in Surah Al-Isra, وَمِنَ اللَّيْلِ فَتَهَجَّدْ بِهِ نَافِلَةَ لَكَ And during the night, stand in tahajjud, praying. Right? And again, Allah Azzawajal uh, mentions the night, especially as a time of doing extra prayers, in terms of being a time of nawafil of prayers. And Allah Azzawajal says in, in the end of, towards the end of Surah Qaf, وَمِنَ اللَّيْلِ فَسَبِّحْهُ وَأَدْبَارَ السُّجُودِ and during the night, then glorify your Lord and and uh, after the sujood, meaning after you pray, meaning the night prayer. And Allah says in Surah Al-Muzammil, which is one of the earliest revelations, when Allah speaks about how the Quran will be heavy upon the Prophet We will place upon you a heavy speech because this revelation and holding that message and the responsibility that comes with it is something which is heavy upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Allah then says, Allah tells him how to cope with that and he says to him, the worship of the night is better and more helpful for you in that regard. And so that's why we know that the Prophet used to spend his nights awake in prayer. He would, he would rarely, if ever, miss a night of the Hajjud. And Allah then says, also commanding and encouraging the uh, the believers to follow suit in Surah Al-Dhariyat, Allah says, describing the believers, they spend very little of the night asleep, meaning that they spend a good portion of it awake in prayer. And likewise in the Sunnah, we have a number of hadith that speak about the virtues of night and worshipping the night. From them is the famous hadith in which the Prophet told us وسلم, that Allah descends to the lowest heaven in the last third of the night in a manner which befits his majesty subhanahu wa ta'ala. Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin rahimahullah ta'ala says, so all of this shows that the night is a time when Allah azza wa will often spread out his blessings and give his mercy and much of his divine favors are found during the portion of the night. And that is when Allah azza wa comes closer to his creation physically subhanahu wa ta'ala because he descends to the lowest heaven and he calls out asking who is making dua and who is seeking forgiveness and who has needs and wants that he may respond to them. The Shaykh says rahimahullah ta'ala and the reason and the hikmah, the wisdom behind that is because during the night the heart is more likely to be at ease and at tranquility and more likely to be focused and attentive in its worship because it doesn't have the other things that busy it, distract it and take its attention away from the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we all know that to be a fact when we're praying dhuhr or asr and you're in the middle of the day and you have work and, or you have studies or you have children and you have family and you have so many things going on, your prayer is often limited in that way. But if you were to wake up during the night when everyone else around you is asleep and no one is texting and no one is doing anything, everything's asleep for you, everything is dead, that is a time when you can spend more time in worship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so Shaykh Muhammad Al-Amin says, and so the worship of the night is stronger for the heart and it is better able to concentrate and focus upon its Lord, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I thought that that was a very beautiful um, statement of Shaykh Muhammad Al-Amin and it is a very nice way to conclude the tafsir of this surah. So inshallah ta'ala that comes, brings us to the end of Surah Al-Qadr and inshallah therefore next week we begin with the tafsir of Surah Al-Alaq. So if there's any questions, let's take some questions and then we'll conclude for today. Samira is asking, how did Hamza's student Khalaf manage to become a Qari in his own right as one of the ten but not any of the other students of Hamza's or other Qurra? So all of these Qurra are like ulama, right? They're all imams in their own right. So even the ones who are students of other imams are imams in their own right. It's just that this is how the science of Qira'at became, uh, you know, kind of became uh, became documented, it became uh, codified if you like, it's just through this way. These scholars, even the ten, have teachers who are greater scholars than them. Their teachers, many of them from the Tabi'een, are greater Imams than them in Qira'ah. Right? It's like for example someone saying, Hakum Imam Bukhari is the famous scholar of Hadith and not someone like Awza'i or Sufyan al-Thawri or others. It, it, they just weren't known. Right? They just didn't have those compilations of books. They, they are great scholars of Hadith, but they just didn't become known in that way. 
Likewise with the Imams, the Qurra, these are the ones who perhaps because they spent so much of their time teaching Qur'an and focusing on Qur'an and Qiraat and so on, they became famous. Now why Khalaf? Why does he have both? Because he became famous as a student of Hamza, but he became famous also in his own right. right? And so therefore he, he kind of developed both and he became known for both and so he became famous for them as well. That's not always the case. Right? It's not always the, the case. So for example, another example of that is Ad-Duri. Ad-Duri uh, is a a um, a narrator of a uh, narrator of Abu Amr al Basri, and he's also a narrator of al Kisai, and he's the same man. Al Duri is a student of both al Kisai and Abu Amr, and so he is a narrator of both. And so you have Duri al Kisai, and you have Duri from his recitation along with a Susi of uh, Abu Amr al Basri, and so you have you have you know it's not just exclusively to one or whatever. You have this amongst the Qur'a, it's just how they became well-known and famous and how their knowledge spread. And so, you know, these Imams in Qira'at often studied with more than one Imam and they had different, but what they became well-known for is their teaching of, for example, Warsh became famous for his teaching of Nafi' and so on and so forth. And that's just how it stuck. And Allah Azza wa knows best. Assalamu please confirm that I understood the underlying portion of the question. Uh, research question six, what is the main difference in meaning between these two readings of, of matla'? Yes, matla' with a fatha and matli' with a kasra. What is the difference in meaning between the two? That is correct. Rashida, is there any reference to how many hours the Prophet slept and how many hours did he pray during the night? Not that I know of. The general narrations say that he used to sleep for for half of the night and, and, and this, you have the hadith of the, the sleeping of Dawood which is mentioned in Al-Bukhari that the Prophet Dawood would spend and the Prophet you know, he, he uh, praised the worship of Dawood during the night that he would sleep for half the night then pray for a third then rest for the final sixth that's what he would do and there are narrations of the Prophet such as in the hadith of Ibn Abbas when he spends the night with him that he did something similar so we know that the Prophet would sleep for the first portion of the night and in some narrations it is said that he stepped around half the night, maybe slightly more, slightly less, right? Because in those days you don't have clocks and you don't have timepieces and you know the, the, the concept of midnight and so on isn't something which is familiar to them. And so they would say half the night, but he sleeps earlier because remember in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, they're sleeping after Isha very early. And that's why you have the hadith that the Prophet ﷺ used to uh, dislike to, to speak after Isha. He used to dislike to sleep before Isha and dislike to talk after it. So he wouldn't like to sleep before Isha because then his Isha would become too delayed and he would dislike to talk after it, meaning because there was a time when people would go home and they would go to bed. So if the Prophet is sleeping relatively early, therefore, he is going to sleep and he is therefore able to spend more of that night asleep than as opposed to us when, for example, even in the summer months, if you know Isha comes in around or the, the, the night starts around like 8 o'clock, 8 p.m., 7 p.m., 8 p.m., we're still not sleeping until around midnight anyway, 11, 12, maybe even after. Whereas even till now, if you go to villages and where life is more you know, sedentary and more peaceful and so on, people tend to go to sleep early, especially if they have to wake up earlier because of farming and because of the work that they do. So it's similar to that. But there are narrations that say that he slept for around half the night and then we know the Prophet would spend a good, good portion awake and that he would often rest. He would lie down. Whether he slept or not is a matter of difference of opinion. Sometimes it is said that he would lightly snore so he would doze off. And sometimes it is said that he would just rest. He would just lie down on his side وسلم, until Bilal would come with the adhan. Right? Or someone would come and call him for the salah. And Allah knows best. Okay, yeah, but obviously, like uh, if you're talking about the the nights of the last ten nights of Ramadan, then he wouldn't sleep. He would spend his nights awake, all of it awake in prayer. Right, that's what the hadith seem to suggest and what they say. So I don't know if, if you're referring to generally or if you're referring to the last ten nights. They are two separate issues because the last ten nights are obviously special because of their virtue. Sumira so in Surah Al-Ma'arij where. Yawm al-Akhir is described as 50,000 years. Would that also be implication of a large number or a little understanding? So we're going to come on to that, inshallah ta'ala. Not, it's not too far ahead of us. When we come on to, um, you know, we will come on to that. And, and uh, another similar 
question to that, which is also a good one, you will find, because sometimes Yom Al Qiyamah is referred to as being, or is referred to as a day of a thousand years, and sometimes it's fifty thousand years, and that's a very interesting research topic in and of itself, right? Which we're not going to do at the moment, but inshallah, when we come to it, we'll speak about that in more detail. Uh, Amreen, uh, Amreen is saying, based on the last few weeks, the transcribing team feels a standalone research document makes review difficult from a student's perspective due to its relevance to the corresponding lesson. May we have permission to incorporate the research questions in the main notes, making clear distinction in formatting so that they are distinguishable? I, I personally think that it's um, that it's worth having a standalone document as well. So if you want to do both, that's okay. Or, or you put like a you know a a note in the margin saying that this corresponds to such and such question which you will find on in such and such a document. Maybe you can like cross reference uh, that if if you find that to be easier. I understand the point that you're making because clearly the two are linked. But I think it's also good to have uh, this as a standalone document simply because not all of these questions are necessarily to do with uh, with the you know with the uh, lesson itself in terms of the the seal itself sometimes the tangents right that we're going on to and also therefore when it comes to prepping the uh, the notes for revision and for exams and stuff I don't want people to become you know distracted with with what are these types of issues because they won't be part of the exam this is something which I expect the exam to include because they are you know they are they are uh, separate issues that are that we're just doing for our benefit so. You can do both if you think it's, it's, it's you need to do both. That's fine. Um, I think it's still worthwhile just having them separately. And once we we have them as separate, you can definitely timestamp them or something. So if you want to, for example, uh, narrate it back. So when you say, for example, this question of matla matla, you say, for example, on whatever lesson we're on now, lesson eleven, QP three, you'll find more information if you want to refer to. It. I think that would be good to do, just so that inshallah there is that link between the two, which I think is important because even if we come to do something with them, it, w- it would be helpful to understand where, uh, which lesson they correspond to. Okay, so inshallah, we're going to uh, stop there for today. Jazakumullah khairan. And inshallah, I hope that I will see you all next week. Barakallahu feekum. Wa sallahu ala bin Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.